0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Insider. Before we start, I thought I'd take some time out to talk to my good friend and person that pays me, Joshua Jay, about his new show, How Magicians Think. Joshua, how are you?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me, Damien.
0: No, thank you for doing it, because I know we've been running Showtime for a while, but I'm still yet to see a virtual show. Can you explain to me and our listeners, who may be in the same boat as me, what to expect from your virtual show is it like procedural oh look the cards match and you both counted down 37 that's, that's cards twice is. and
1: it's an hour of that
0: no but it's not is it what, what is it
1: yeah you know my virtual show is kind of a hybrid between a show and a talk so okay. it's everything i love about magic and i realize that the virtual show format is the perfect place for me to bring viewers here into my apartment, into my world. So it's a show that celebrates the creativity of magic, the history of magic, the psychology of magicians, and all of these things that would be weird to talk about on a stage randomly in your town, but that make perfect sense when you're here seeing these objects in my collection and seeing the way I come up with these tricks. It's kind of like, to be crass, it's like behind the music for magic.
0: And what's the level of interactivity? Is it uh, people sitting back and, and enjoying you do magic, or is there a chance for people to get involved?
1: It's an interesting question. You know, I think that that's the, that's the first question magicians ask when they're putting together their virtual shows. And I think a lot of magicians weigh on the side of everybody's helping in every trick, but then you get what you were joking about a second ago, which is the um, procedural kind of magic over and over and over again. I would say to you that I have less interactivity than most of the virtual shows I've seen, but my show has more interaction because between every trick I take questions. I take questions like, do you ever mess up a trick on stage? Was Houdini as good as he says? Who are the greatest living magicians? You know, I take questions to help deepen people's appreciation for magic.
0: What's been the hardest thing about putting together the show?
1: I think for me the, the hardest adjustment by far is the, the change in the way we interact. So like in the program that I use, I truly can't even see the audience's faces for the most part. Right. And that's weird because everything I do, I hope I take into consideration what the audience is feeling, thinking, emoting and you really feel like you're performing in a room by yourself a lot of the time. That's why these questions have been such a great find for me in terms of um, format, because I actually do get a chance to talk to people and answer their questions. And yes, some of the tricks have people choosing things and naming things and and interacting, but um, it's interesting because I didn't lean into that as much as other magicians.
0: So the questions really have been your saving grace in how to make the show feel more like a real magic show.
1: I mean, it's just I made the decision that I wanted this to be a really personal show, and you know, it's it's that epiphany that you you always have, you know, where you're going. How can I like answer the questions they're thinking about? How can I reach what what's making them curious? And it's like, why don't you just ask them what they're curious about? <laughs> Fuck them, <going>? like, <laughs> duh, and then there it is.
0: And we're we're out of time, Josh. But when is the show?
1: Show is March third. Um, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. But listen, if you're in a different time zone, yeah. you can tune in for seven days after the show and then watch it streaming through your Vanishing Inc. account. This is a great opportunity if you have a partner or a spouse or adult children or people in your life that you want to watch something with. I think this is this will deepen people's appreciation for magic. And I really hope, if you've supported my work in the past, I really hope you'll come because it's, it's special to me and I think it's going to be a good night.
0: Joshua J, thank you very much indeed. Now, on with the rest of The Insider. Aside from yours, of course, Mm -hmm. what mentalism books do you think that anyone interested in the field has to study? What's your required reading list?
2: Oh, well, I almost should show you Mm by... So I have like a
0: huge, huge,
2: huge, and both sides of the room too. Uh, You can't see the other side of the room, but it looks just the same. Um, I mean, the classics are always, everybody talks about the classics as as being, you know, 13 Steps to Mentalism Mm -hmm. and those kind of books. Um, So, I mean, that's a a really good, I, I like that book. I mean, a lot of it is, a lot of the material in that book has been superseded by stuff that's far better. Um, but, uh, but as a one-stop shop for learning about all the various, and especially for learning about all the various facets of mentalism, I still think it's a great book. It's a good book to give to beginners and say, this is what mentalism is all about. Mm. Um, but eventually you're going to reach a point where you want to learn the real stuff, you know, or the modern stuff, or whatever, and um, you know, the Jinx is still the collected Jinx, which you can get, you can buy very inexpensively on, on you know, CD-ROM or something. Um, uh, it's just, it's just a mecca of plot ideas. It's just mm-hmm. full of great, great stuff. Again, the methods are a little dated, but. uh, Bascom Jones Magic, M A G I C K, which is unfortunately expensive to buy um, because it's such a huge resource, and Mm -hmm. so in order to have it all, you need to buy some expensive books. So, um, any of Bob Cassidy's major works, The Art of Metalism II being the place I would start, uh, Bob had a lot of you know, personal difficulties in his life. And so tended at times in his life to crank out a lot of stuff mm. <laughs> in order to earn money. And none of his stuff is bad, but the really good stuff is are things like um, uh, like that one. Um, Bruce Bernstein has a collection not unlike my own, a sort of uh a, a, a sort of a, a a looking back on a career and picking all the really good stuff and putting it into one high quality book called Unreal, which is amazing. Um, I've probably missed some really great stuff, but yeah again, it. it depends it depends on your interest. you know, sure. if you're interested in read in in readings and doing readings, then you know, Anything by Richard Webster is really good. <laughs> um, uh, so again, if, if you're interested in a specific element of metalism, then I could go on with.
0: There's more sp- niche stuff. Yeah. yeah. But
2: but yeah. but general general stuff. Those are the ones that off the top of my head and I'm going to get Good a list. phone call from one of my best friends. And why <laughs> why you did you my that? book? Yeah. yeah. And they're probably right, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's talk about your book. Um, there's a whole chapter on magic squares. Now I think I might kind of know some of the answers to this from the beginning of our conversation, but what interests you particularly about magic squares? <laughs>
2: um, well, first of all, I think magic squares are a great item for, for a mentalist in particular. Um it, for a variety of ways, uh, and I list a whole bunch of them in the book, but I'm just going to give you three of them okay um, first of all, it's it's a very good way to start a mentalism performance, okay because it has no uh, supernatural connotations. Um, it, there's no suggestion that you're doing something that's occult or whatever uh, uh, paranormal uh-huh. um, it's just it's very clever they're not sure how you do it boy you must be a really smart guy or something um, which is which is good I want them to think I have a bigger brain than everybody else so so it's good for that and it and there's this notion that's uh, that that not everybody ascribes to but uh, that I like in mentalism is that a mentalism performance now I'm thinking now of a parlor show or a stage show, not just a few casual things you might do for friends. Um, A mentalism performance should should uh, escalate in various ways, but it should escalate in its level of believability. So, you know, don't start right off the bat by, you know, doing mental Transmission of a, a body from one side of the room to the other and that's just you know <laughs> insane right? So start them off with something that everybody can get like a magic square It's uh, oh, and now let's try something a little more have to push the envelope a little bit and yep. then uh, So then by the time you get to the point where you want the you, you want to levitate something Which I would hope a mentalist would never actually try to do but hey, it's the type of mentalism. It's psychokinetic ability sure. So you, you should sure. do it um, but then it's more credible by that point because now you've proved yourself by getting right. there rather than just coming out of the out of the you know gate doing it so that's that's one reason um, so this the second reason is that uh, it's a very good reveal technique in mentalism so if you've divined a number through your whatever method, um, you have to reveal it. And one way to do that is to, you know, show that it's been an envelope all along. Mm-hmm. Another way to reveal it is using a magic square. So, so again, a very simple, you know, I wouldn't necessarily do it this way myself, but a simple explanation is you write down a whole bunch of numbers on a board, and and it gets to be a, a, a bit of a running gag. Is, is this your number? No, is this your number? No, you know, you're just like, and then at the end, you say, well, what what is your number? And it, oh, it was 37 or whatever. And so now you now you show them all the different ways that it, it, that, that it yeah. so you get an extra climax, multiple climaxes actually. Um, oh, I told you I was going to tell you three ways, but I'm going to tell you four. Another good thing about mentalism is that it lets you do something that mentalists don't often have an opportunity, or magicians in general, um, don't often have an opportunity to do. And that is a really good st- staging technique is, is this notion of callbacks. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, comedians use it all the time. Any good comedian, you're going to see that many, many times to great effect. And it's difficult to do that in mentalism, but it's not so difficult to do it with a magic square presentation because there's no law that says you have to reveal all of the myriad ways that a uh-huh. magic square adds up all at the same time. In fact, oh, cool. it's a little boring. It's a little yeah, yeah, boring. Yeah. Once they've yeah, seen yeah, it, yeah. there's kind okay, of like, okay. Okay. oh, and look, every corner oh, yeah, yeah. on the yeah. diagonal. <laughs> you know, but you can, you can Pull it out later. You can do like show all the rows and columns and the main diagonals, and you know, and maybe the four corners of the big square. And it's so, and that's a great. It's great already what you did. So now go and do something else, and then remember that. Oh, you know, oh, what I just thought, <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. show them that all the two by two squares add up, and then go away again, and then go back and say, oh, the three by three squares add up again. Uh... Uh, so it's a it's a beautiful structure for callbacks, and it yeah. can be very funny, and and it's a, it's really strong. Okay, what was the other one I was going to tell you? I, I, don't I was going to tell you four, and now I've forgotten the fourth one.
0: Well, that one was that one was worth two, I think. Tom.
2: Yeah, that one was probably <laughs> probably probably <laughs> worth. Oh, oh, no, I do remember the other one. Um, and this is one that I found myself. So this isn't necessarily intuitively. Well, I guess it is. Once, you, once, once I explain it, you'll see how great it is. Um, ma, uh, doing magic squares for people can be very personal. It doesn't have to just be a, a secret number that they thought of or whatever. It can be anything that's numeric sure. you can make into a magic square if you know how to do it. And so you can take somebody's birthday or, or a wedding anniversary or anything, anything at all. The number of cars the, the uh, automotive guy sold last year and, and, and broke the record for his <laughs> automotive agency. Anything that's a number, you can turn it into a magic square. And so if you're, if you're able to do that on the fly <laughs> with anything, which if you buy my book you'll, you'll learn how to do it on the fly, um, then that, that can be one of the most personal things you can do for someone and leave with them afterwards. So one of the, my uh, business card, I guess I don't, unfortunately I don't have any handy, but there's a picture, well, there's a picture of an old version of my business card in the book, um, and I've changed it since I wrote the book a couple of years ago now, um, but uh, on my website, Deceptionary.com, which you said you're gonna point to somebody at some point. Yeah. Time, um, on that, there is a uh, there is an addendum section for this new book, and so anybody who has the new book can go to that website and find out all the stuff I've thought of, or other people have thought of, relative to what's in the book. It's all it's all there, and it'll show you a picture of my new business card. But on the back of it, there's a pattern for for uh, doing magic square, and the most commercial thing I do, and for years, which is one of the reasons that I. Saved this particular thing until I retired and don't do so much anymore. Was do these personalized magic squares for people on the back of my business card? So I asked for their birthday, I write their birthday on the on the uh, in four of the squares, and then I fill in the rest of the squares to make it a magic square. So now they have a magic square that's not just some random thing they can show their friends, and it's their birth
0: date Uh, that's a business card they're never gonna throw away
2: they're never gonna throw away that business card and if you're so inclined not everybody's inclined this way but if you're so inclined you can do readings you can do numerological type readings based on that and i in the book give you a a simplified way of doing that without having to read a big volume of numerology (laughs) so uh, to me that's the most commercial thing in the book is that one thing and and it's a magic square so (laughs) what can i say?
0: Uh, you mentioned about the addendums having stuff from other people. um the book's got yes. several contributions in it from other performers
2: yes so pre- working six or seven
0: yeah yeah is working collaboratively important to you and what do you think the benefits are the,
2: those aren't um those aren't really collaborative things um uh, at least not particularly I guess I'm trying to think now of' what those. Items were, Um, but no one of them. One of them is uh, is a little bit collaborative, but most of them are not collaborative at all. They are the products of someone else. Right. Uh, And uh, and the reason I put them in the book is because they are things that I have used, um, and and in almost all cases, I could think of one exception off the top of, and two exceptions off the top of my head. other people would never know about those things because ah. the, the the people who created them don't write books. They're not right. really necessarily you know magicians who perform for other magicians. So, and I thought, oh man, this is just so good. It should it shouldn't die with the creator. So I got their permissions. Some sometimes it took a little arm twisting sometimes they just said yeah, sure whatever um, but th- they're all great I can say that because I have almost no input into them except for one of them um, and uh, and they're you know they're they're great among the best things in the book are, are those at the back they have nothing almost nothing to do with me oh collaborative God. stuff um, I guess I don't have a strong feeling about it um, okay. I work personally I don't Work well collaboratively because I'm so cerebral. I want to burrow into my little corner mm-hmm. and think about this, and maybe build a computer model of it, or describe it mathematically, or something. Um, now that said, um, you know some of my best things are collaborative in the sense that I've talked to other people initially about the yeah. ideas, and they so, said, in fact, if you look at. At all of my work, if I had to characterize it, I think this is probably true, um, I tend to be an improver rather than a creator. I'm not particularly good at sitting down and saying, now what has nobody ever done before Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be the first person to do this. Uh, I mean, I've never even really tried to do it because I've never particularly felt the need for that, for for me personally. Um, but what i'm really good at is taking something that exists and saying is there a better more deceptive more entertaining way of doing this and that and that i can do well and part of it is because i'm just you know i just persistent i just keep at it forever it takes a long time there's Absolutely. a quote from the book i i i can't give it to you verbatim off the top of my head but there's a a quote by teller in the book that basically says you know um a, a, a lot of what, a, a lot of what can be characterized as what magicians do is just spending way more time on something than anybody else in the world would ever consider reasonable. Yes. Uh, and man,
0: that, that just describes me pers- perfectly. <laughs> so. But the, the, I've got a question following on from that. Then that you you you've talked about being a perpetual student of magic and mentalism. Uh, mm. So what 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 do you mean by that? That's just
2: a. That's just, I think, a good. This is. That particular comment is is uh, is related mostly to people who do readings, Um, uh, because I just think it's. uh, I have fairly strong opinions about readings. Readings are a very controversial topic. Yes. Um, And I have pretty strong opinions about it. And it's another thing we could talk about for a long time, but. but in terms of in terms of the presentation of readings, uh, I have always believed that um, that it is just a huge mistake for a reader to portray themselves as the final word, or you know, the, the the world's best tarot card reader, or you know, a superbly trained expert who studied in the Orient for years. I just think that's all really, really bad. Um, partially because it interferes with the way readings actually work, okay. Um, and partially because I just think it's arrogant. I think I think you will be much better off uh, if you just. It's just I'm a student of of the but you know more about it than they do anyway. Probably not always. If you're picking something like tarot. Or numerology, you might well be doing a reading for someone who knows a heck of a lot more about tarot than mm-hmm. you do. So you have to be careful. Um, but even if that were not the case, even if you always did know more, you should always act as though you're a student. You're learning, and and that helps with the reading itself. Because if you if you if you set yourself up with someone who issues proclamations about mm-hmm. whatever the the cards show or whatever, um, then you set yourself up to fail. Whereas if you're just a student then we're all in this together, and that's yeah. really how readings work, is it's sort of a cooperative analysis of, what's, of what the cards are showing. Of course, you don't want them to think that, but, but that's really what's going on. And um, and you being a student makes it a lot easier for them to participate in this cooperation than sure, if you set yourself up as the expert and they're they're sitting yeah. back going oh now I'm going to get the real story from a real Aye. expert so that's... and they'll go away remembering how accurate you were mm-hmm. all right but it's it's just easier if you don't if you don't sort of state up front you know I'm ninety seven percent accurate you know no no that's really bad <laughs> really bad that sets up a challenge great. that shouldn't yeah, be course, there
0: of course yeah. of course. Um, I was interested in the book about the quick stack, which is a tetradistic yes. stack. Now, yes. apart from Ackerman and Canasta, I'm not too aware of many people using such a stack. Can you explain what it is and what its benefits are?
2: Okay, um, I could do the former better than I can do the latter, okay. um, and the reason. Let me tell you that first, and then I'll and then I'll tell you the former. <laughs> um, I'm not a card magician. I mean, when I, was, when I was 17 years old, I was a bit of a card magician, but I stopped doing card magic when I went to college and I never really did it again after that. So, so I'm, I'm, I don't know any, I know very little about card magic in that whole world. Um, a tetradistic stack is one in which the numeric values of the cards repeat um, in four blocks. So, if you, if you, there are 52 cards in a stack, so there are four sequential blocks, 13 cards in each block, and in a tetradistic stack, the numerical order of the cards in each block is the same. Okay. Uh, okay. So, if you uh, if you uh, did a Faro shuffle, perfect Faro shuffle of a tetradistic stack, you would end up with pairs of cards. The same, and if you did two Faro shuffles, you'd end up with four of a kinds. Mm-hmm. The, the same. Now, to me, uh, uh, my only interest in in a memorized deck is that it be a memorized deck <laughs> that I know the position of every of every of every card that might be named, or I know the card at any position named, because that is an incredibly powerful thing. For sure. And I really don't care too much about the other elements. Um, But there are two schools of thought. Again, I know a lot of card magicians. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so there are two schools of thought on what on what else you should care about other than the fact that you've memorized the stack. Uh, one school of thought is that the that the stack, whatever it is, has built into it all kinds of clever poker tricks, hands so they're, whatever, they're yeah. wired poker hand spelling tricks, stuff like that, um, and 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 in fact, the two most popular stacks in the world, the Aronson stack and the Tamariz stack, um, they're, they're that type of a stack, they just have all that kind of stuff built into them. And I've never found that very compelling, um, because uh, it's just like when we are talking about right, right when we first started talking, um, it's just it's, it's a personal opinion sure, as to whether that is a good trick. Is that a mm-hmm. good trick? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> Spelling tricks suck, man. <laughs> you know, so so you know so, so the idea that someone else has picked a number of tricks and wired them into a stack, but there's their tricks, the tricks mm-hmm. that they've picked. Has, has almost no appeal to me at all. I mean, I'll sure. look at them and, and you know, maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but anytime I do look at them, I think, yeah, I was right, those are those kind of suck. If I'm only going to do three tricks for people, it's not going to be one of those. They're not that, they're okay. They're, yeah, they, they won't know how I did it. It'll be, but are they earth-shaking, which is what they should be in your performance? Yeah. You know, so, so I don't like that idea. The other idea that some card people uh, ascribe to is that, no, no, that's not how you do it. You build a trick that has some kind of, st- uh, I'm sorry, you build a stack that has some kind of structure to it that could be used to do other things really easily. Sure. And uh, and a tetradistic stack lets you lets you do that sort of thing. So there are, you know, talk to the card experts and you'll get better answers than that. But, <laughs> but it's one of the reasons that, that uh, that things like 8 Kings and Psy Stebbins are are popular. It's because most people don't even really think about it, but those are tetradistic stacks. Now, they're not very good stacks. They're intended to be sequential stacks. Both of those, Psy Stebbins and 8 Kings and many others, um, are intended to be sequential stacks. Uh, the idea being that if you know one card, you know the card after it and the card before it. Yeah. But you don't know that it's the 14th card in the deck. You just mm-hmm. know, okay? So that's a sequential stack, and sequential stacks could be cut any number of times because they're circular in design. And the two most popular sequential stacks are Cy and 8 Kings, but as I say, there are literally dozens of others. And a lot of really qualified, especially older, a little less true nowadays, but you know, in the sort of 30s, 40s, 50s back then, a lot of really important magicians whose names we all know made their careers using things like Cy Stebbins. Right. And Cy Stebbins, as a sequential stack, is not a very good sequential stack. You look at a size Stebbins spread in front of you, and it'll take you about four seconds to realize that, oh, these cards are all in order, you know? The red, black, alternating, the suits are in order, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the numerical values are three or four apart, depending on what you do. So it's not a very good stack. <laughs> so why did the... Why did the people of old uh, like it so much? And uh, uh, especially Stuart James, who was like a god um, uh, in, in, in magical history. And and that was his, you know, favorite. Uh, and you think, well, why? I mean, it's not a very good stack. And the answer is because it's a t- tetrodistic stack. So yeah. all the stuff I talk about, you could do with with either of those. So.
0: Right. Fair.
2: So, it, and Qu- uh, Quickstack was my first published... Effect that was if it hadn't been for QuickStack I probably wouldn't be talking to you today. Well, um, a, a good friend of mine who has passed away a couple of years ago, uh, Roger Farabee. You probably know his name in the UK.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, he uh, uh, I lived in Cambridge for for a while for a, a little over a year, and we became very close. And he of course if you know roger you know that he knows every magician in the entire uk and he introduced me to 80 percent of them and it was just <laughs> it was just an amazing year and we became good friends and i and i had invented um quick stack and uh and i explained it to him and he thought, this is brilliant you should publish this and i you know uh, you know nobody cares no no he says this is really really good <laughs> you should publish this <laughs> um and so i thought about it and then i added a few other things of mine and published my first book and but that was the lead item in in, in my first book and uh wow. and, and, and so yeah that's what, where it came from because i have trying to do uh uh i don't care personally about the test nature because I never make use of that. Um, in fact to me that's a bit of a flaw because it does mean that uh, that you can't exhaustively look at the cards. You right. can look at them and it, you know you're not going to see it right away but if, if if you sit down and spend some time you're going to suddenly realize oh wait a minute <laughs> these are the same here that they are over here. But to me that's, that's a, a drawback but I use that stack for many years because I was always trying to find a real a real uh, like a perfect okay? sure. a, a a perfect uh, analytical uh, uh, memorized deck that didn't have any repetition at all you, that you just you could give it to somebody and they could spend the rest of their lives and they never see any order and i eventually worked out one and it's in the book so for, if you want like a perfect one but many many card people will say yeah that's oh that's really cool man i never seen anything like that but i'm going to use the test realistic one because it lets me do a lot of things so
0: well thank you roger for <laughs> starting this journey and enabling yes. us to talk and have this fabulous yes. book um doug we've run out of time we always end the show okay. with four quick fire questions are you ready oh Uh i guess <laughs> favorite pizza topping uh
2: nothing at all i like plain
0: uh margarita pizza Favorite movie? Groundhog Day. Favorite personal people who make music.
2: Oh I'm a big music fan and my list is very, very, very long. Just I would one, say Just I one. would say of living people. Let me, okay. let me restrict it to living people and I'm gonna say Chris Christofferson.
0: And finally, who would you rather fight? One giant Andy Gladwin or a hundred tiny Joshua Jays? Oh, I'd go for the hundred tiny Joshua Days if I had to fight them so (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. I've learned a lot. Thank you very much.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for your interest.